Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with DCROM. I'm your host, David Cromelo, joined as always by my right hand man, Hal Bent of Full Press Coverage at BostonSportPage.com. Well, the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine is in full swing, and as we speak, potential deals are being discussed over beer and shrimp cocktails in the bars and restaurants of Indianapolis. And while all signs point to certain big name players actually staying with their current teams, we are still likely headed for a very intriguing next two months in the NFL with free agency and the draft, aren't we, Hal? We certainly are. Uh, the NFL is a full-time 24-7, 365 league right now. There's not much of a break, and we have got our foot pressed to the gas pedal for the next couple of weeks here with the combine and free agency, that's for sure. Yes, and uh, the draft is just getting started as the buzz emanates out of India, and we'll talk a little bit about the draft later on in the show. But first, let's talk about Super Bowl 56, because you and I haven't done a podcast since that amazing game between the Bengals and the Rams. What was your main takeaway from Super Bowl 56, Sal? Rooting for the Bengals so hard this year and rooting for a Cinderella, you know, the, the first feeling was the heartbreak of uh, Cincinnati not being able to uh, get over the hump and having that opportunity uh, for the go-ahead drive at the end of the game. But again, you know, the NFL is about the greatest players stepping up in the biggest moments. And Aaron Donald, talk about cementing a Hall of Fame legacy uh, w- with the game on the line, the biggest play. Um, what a superstar performance there. Uh, you know, Hall of Famers making Hall of Fame plays. That's what that game came down to. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Donald, and we're going to talk about him very, very soon. But uh, let me give you my main takeaway from Super Bowl 56. It was an uphill fight for both teams. It was like a battle of fatal flaws. The Bengals with their subpar pass protection against the Rams' bare cupboard of pass catchers after Odell Beckham Jr. unfortunately blew out his ACL for the second time in 16 months. And uh, that's how it seemed, especially in the second half where the Bengals just couldn't protect Burrow and the Rams just couldn't get the ball to anybody outside of Cooper <laughs> Cup. And it was a tight battle of those fatal flaws, but in the end, the former of those flaws won. And you mentioned Aaron Donald. I'm sure you know that before the Super Bowl, it was reported by former NFL safety and current NBC sports analyst Rodney Harrison, that Aaron Donald was contemplating retirement after this game, especially if the Rams won. Now, based on the tea leaves, it looks like he is not going to retire. But let's say he actually did retire after the Super Bowl. Would he still be locked in as a first ballot Hall of Famer? I think the case is 100% yes, and here's why. In his eight seasons in the NFL so far, He has made first-team All-Pro seven times, seven consecutive times, and that is almost unheard of. Even the great defensive players of this era haven't made that many All-Pro selections for first-team. Three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year honors and the 2010s All-Decade team. What do you think? 
Oh, I slam dunk first ballot. If he never played another game right now, heck, if he had retired before this season, I would still say, you know, uh, you know, you've got to recognize that dominance and that dominance, you know, uh, just look at Tony Baselli here, you know, his dominance on the offensive line and now Aaron Donald on the other side, even if he doesn't play, 10 years, 12 years, just the fact that he made such a huge impact year after year. I mean, let's face it, they've been double teaming him since the Rams were in St. Louis, and it doesn't have any effect. It doesn't slow him down. And, you know, you want to say seven out of eight years, hey, he was defensive rookie of the year his first year, you know, he could have been on the team as well that uh, rookie season as well. He was just that good. Oh my God. I remember I was in St. Louis to watch Peyton Manning and the Broncos play Aaron Donald and the Rams during his rookie season. And Aaron Donald completely took over that game. And it was that game when you started to realize that Peyton Manning is getting old fast and, uh, Aaron Donald single-handedly won that game. The Broncos just couldn't block him that day. Peyton Manning couldn't just couldn't overcome him. Uh, it was, a nightmare to watch, but uh, I was literally seated like a couple rows behind Aaron Donald's family for crying out loud that game. But little did I know it was the beginning of a historic run of greatness. And in terms of this century alone, is Aaron Donald the best defensive player in the NFL in terms of this century? This century? Yes. I mean, I, I'm of the generation where it's hard to put anybody above Lawrence Taylor in my mind, because he was, I would say, you know, Aaron Donald is the closest to uh, Lawrence Taylor as far as the impact on the game plan for the opposing offenses. I mean, Lawrence Taylor was one of those players where, you know, you were looking for him on every play. And Aaron Donald is the same way. If you don't double team him every play, you're in big trouble. So, um, yeah, definitely this century. I'd be hard-pressed to put a defensive player above Aaron Donald. Yes, and we may never see another one like him ever again in our lives. So uh, should he return for at least one more season as expected, do not take it for granted because he is arguably the greatest defensive player since Lawrence Taylor. I completely agree with you there, Hal. And a very important date on the NFL calendar is coming right up. This Tuesday, March 8th at 4 p.m. Eastern time is the deadline for NFL teams to apply franchise tags. And we're going to go through a list of certain players and you're going to tell me whether they should get tagged or should not get tagged. And we start with one that I think is a no-brainer, Devontae Adams. Tag or no oh, tag? For oh, you got it. Yeah, he's 100% tag. If, if they don't tag him, I'd be worried about uh, – uh, big change in mind of your quarterback there in green bay so i think that has to be a automatic franchise tag uh, no doubt about it yes uh, they're currently working on a deal with him as they are with a lot of their other players to get uh, under the cap by uh, march 16th at 4 p.m easter tide but uh, Devontae adams he is a talent you do not let go anywhere period the best wide receiver aaron Rodgers has ever played with and if you want to make Aaron Rodgers as happy as could be, extend Devontae Adams and uh, put a franchise tag on him to give you more time to do so. No brainer. He will get tagged. I'll add that. Orlando Brown Jr. Should the Chiefs 
tag him or not tag him? I think they have to tag him. I don't, I mean, the draft capital they put up just a year ago for him in that circumstance, there's, you can't risk him going to market and, and leaving um, somebody offering him too much money for Kansas city. They don't have a choice left tackle with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. You've got to make that investment. Um, yeah. If they can't work something out by the, the deadline, they have to tag them. I would have to agree there. And let's go to Tampa, Tom Brady list, Tampa, that is. And Chris Godwin, who is coming off an ACL tear, and he is eligible for the franchise tag for the second straight year. Keep in mind, he was playing on the tag last year, but the Bucs have the option of tagging him again if they wish. That said, the Bucs have a lot of other in-house free agents, most notably Carlton Davis and Ryan Jensen, just to name a few. But should they tag Chris Godwin again, or should they not tag Chris Godwin? No, I think there's a 0% chance they're going to tag him again. Um, you know, the increase in the tag, uh, going up for the second time in a second year in a row to use that um, is a detriment to them. The injury, um, and like you said, there's so many other um, players that they need to take care of, holes to fill. They still have to find a quarterback first, and they've made that investment in Mike Evans. It's hard to uh, throw, uh, you know, another top of the market deal for a wide receiver it's tough to have two of them there so i think it's a no tag situation and the los angeles chargers have a very interesting decision to make mike williams had the best season of his pro career last year and he became a trusted outlet for justin herbert in that passing game but he is going to hit the market without a franchise tag if you're the chargers do you tag mike williams or not tag mike williams I don't understand letting him go without a tag. You know, I, you've got a tag. I would be tagging him if I was the judges. They made him the centerpiece of the offense this past year. You saw the chemistry, uh, you know, finding another receiver with his size, his strength, yeah, you know, his speed, just hard to find. You've got him. You can at least keep him another year and work on, you know, a plan for next year. I'd be tagging him if I was the Chargers. Yes, and uh, he and Justin Herbert are tailor-made for each other today, I say, with those back shoulder fades that Justin yeah. Herbert throws arguably better than any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Mike Williams catches those like uh, no other, like uh, almost wow. like a poor man's Devontae Adams without the route chops Devontae Adams has. Uh, <laughs> that, that connection, uh, Herbert to Williams, uh, kind of evoked some visions of Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. Yeah, but, uh, it's like it's like a cheat code in, the, in, in Madden. You know, it's like I'm going to dial this play up and I get 12 yards every single time. You know, it's just it's so difficult uh, to to play defense against that and uh, to give that up. Yeah. I don't know what I, I, the charges you got to get them. You got to keep them. And moving on to the defensive side of the ball, Chandler Jones, if he hits the market, he is going to have one robust market indeed, as he is still in his prime as one of the best edge rushers in the entire national football league. But if you're the Arizona Cardinals, do you tag Chandler Jones or do you not tag Chandler Jones? 
That's a tough one. And, and, you know, Jones, like you said, has kept up that production, but at 32, do you want to pay an edge rusher that, you know, that is a tough call. And I think it comes down to, you know, Arizona, do you consider yourself a Super Bowl contender or do you still have a lot of work to get there? And, you know, I think if we were talking about this week 10 of the season, we'd say definitely tag them and make another run. Now, after, you know, the, you know, the collapses and now you've got the coach and the general manager, uh, Kime and Kingsbury locked up. So, you know, they're not feeling the heat next year. So they can go ahead with that uh, plan to build both sides of the ball. I think they'd rather spend that money elsewhere. So I think it's a no tag for Chandler Jones. And spoiler alert, a word from the combine has it that the Cardinals will not tag Chandler Jones indeed. So uh, the Cardinals are pretty much in agreement with you, Hal. And uh, let's move on to the AFC champion Bengals and Jesse Bates, one of the best, if not the best safety in the game. Do you tag Jesse Bates or do you not tag Jesse Bates? I think it's a no-brainer to tag him personally. Oh, it, it's – I mean, he was their best defensive player in the Super Bowl, I thought. Um, you know, he's been one of the, the best deep safeties. I mean, that's an important position, that safety valve, uh, creating turnovers, and he's only 25 years old. Come on. I mean, that no-brainer you've got to tag him, try to work out that long-term deal in Cincinnati. And this is arguably the toughest one because you believe the chiefs should tag Orlando Brown jr. But the honey badger Tyron Matthew is an impending free agent as well. Would you reconsider applying the tag to Orlando Brown jr. And tagging Tyron Matthew instead? Nope. Nope. Number one, you've got to, protect Mahomes. Mahomes has to be the driver. Um, number one priority in Kansas City. I love the Honey Badger. They love the Honey Badger. No doubt about it. But, oh, you know, you, you got to take care of the offensive line first, first and foremost. And I, I'd go with Brown every time. Um, and say, sorry, Honey Badger, let's try to work something out. Um, I think he wants to stay in Kansas City, but there's going to be a lot of money thrown around uh, where he's still only, uh, what, 30 years old or so and um, playing at such a high level. So I think Kansas City is definitely going to make every effort to sign him, but not a franchise tag. Yeah, I would agree. And even if the Chiefs do not re-sign Tyron Matthew, they have a lot of options to replace him in the draft. This is a very, very deep class of uh, defensive backs, including uh, two uh, that could be very good value for them uh, at 30 that have a very similar versatile skill set as the Honey Badger. I'm talking about Daxon Hill from Michigan and Jalen Petrie of Baylor. And uh, so the Chiefs will have a lot of options to replace him at a cheaper rate, dare I say. And last but not least, in tag or no tag, do the Titans tag or not tag Harold Landry? You know, Landry's a tough one because, um, you know, he's out there. He doesn't, he, de he hasn't been injured. He's very consistent. He's improved year over year. He's adding the sacks um, that earlier in his career, 
weren't there. I mean, I I think for Tennessee, I wouldn't be letting Landry go. It's really a coin flip. It's a tough one, but you know, it's rushers with double digit sacks. Um, you know, it's going to be hard to uh, replace him. 25 years old. It's tough. I would, I would give him a tag for another year, try to work out that long-term deal um, during that period. If you can, if I it was Tennessee, because again, they're in a position where um, they know that they've got, you know, another run or two in them in that division. So try to keep the band together. Uh, and Landry's such a big part of that on defense. So it's a tough one, but I would go with the tag. I would go with the tag as well, but with one small caveat. Uh, if you look at that amazing Tennessee Titans defensive front, Jeffrey Simmons is the straw that stirs the drink for that front. And it makes sense to keep Harold Landry for at least one more year to keep that front intact. But you have to also extend Jeffrey Simmons before uh, yeah. week one because uh, you cannot let a freakish talent like him go. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, it, and like you said, that all starts in the middle of that defense. And, you know, having Jeffrey Simmons there is such a huge help for Harold Landry because that pass protection is moving inside, paying attention to Simmons. He's like a, a uh, you know, Aaron Donald type, not quite, but an Aaron, Aaron Donald type disruptor in the middle of that defensive line. Uh, yes, uh, he is easily the best three technique, not named Aaron Donald in the NFL right now. He's Jeffrey Simmons of the Tennessee Titans, folks. And uh, he uh, had all those sacks against Joe Burrow in the divisional round playoff game. And uh, that's not the last time you're going to be hearing his name, folks. He's going to be a terror for many, many more years to come. And now let's talk about the annual quarterback carousel. And as I alluded to in the beginning, some of these big quarterback names are actually staying put after all. As uh, my man Benjamin Albright of 850 KOA Radio in Denver reported earlier this week, somebody within the Packers organization told him that it's in Sharpie that Aaron Rodgers is coming back to the Packers. All they're doing right now is essentially dotting the I's and crossing the T's on a new deal that's going to make Rodgers the first $50 million a year player in NFL history. And Rodgers might not have said it uh, publicly, and the Packers might not be disclosing anything publicly, but uh, it's essentially a done deal that Aaron Rodgers is going to finish his career in Green Bay after all. And not only that, a lot of people were saying Russell Wilson could become available, but as Ian Rappaport just reported an hour or so ago, the Washington Commanders, a team that is in desperate need of a quarterback upgrade, called the Seahawks earlier in the week and offered multiple first-round picks for Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks said no. They said no. So it doesn't look like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson are going anywhere, and Kirk Cousins isn't going anywhere. They hired Kevin O'Connell in part because of his history of working with Kirk Cousins. And they want to give Kirk Cousins one more chance to play his absolute best football for the Vikings. So those three guys are going to stay. Nonetheless, it is still expected that Jimmy Garoppolo will be traded. And even though he is about to undergo a shoulder surgery, that's expected to sideline him until late June, so to speak. Um, he is still expected to get traded. So what do you think is the best trade destination 
for Jimmy Garoppolo? Is it Pittsburgh? Is it Washington? Is it Indianapolis, especially if they part ways with Carson Wentz? Or is it elsewhere? Yeah, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm looking at Indianapolis. I mean, that's a team that, you know, has had unprecedented turnover at the quarterback position after having, you know, what they thought was the successor to Peyton Manning, um, you know, and having, you know, the unfortunate, um, you know, the bad luck of luck uh, retiring early. And since then, it's just been a revolving door. And, you know, Carson Wentz showed in these after a hard, after a, you know, surprising start to the season, regressed back to the 2020 Carson Wentz. And by the end of the season, he cost Indianapolis a playoff spot. They clearly did not trust him to throw the ball. Uh, you know, it was, it was dreadful to watch. Indianapolis has to move on. Uh, Indianapolis, another situation for Jimmy Garoppolo where he knows exactly what he has to do, just like he did in San Francisco. There's a strong defense around him. Get the ball into the hands of the playmakers quickly. Be supported of that strong running game. Uh, you know, I think Indianapolis tailor-made uh, for Jimmy Garoppolo and makes them one of the favorites of the AFC East if they get him. Uh, that is the AFC South, by the way. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's 2002 in my head. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you. I feel you. And this may take a while still, as NFL teams still want more clarity on Deshaun Watson's legal situation before trying to trade for him. But let's say his legal situation gets cleared up sometime around the draft, if not uh, July, right before training camp. What do you think are the best possible landing spots for Deshaun Watson? I have one in mind. I think it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially if yeah. they're able to re-sign Chris Godwin. You still got Godwin. You still got Evans. You got Cam Brate. You got Scotty Miller. Uh, you, you can uh, address that offensive line in the draft. There are a lot of good options to replace uh, Ali Marpet long-term. And you still got a very, very talented defense so I think Deshaun Watson to Tampa with, in a Bruce Arians offense would be yeah. the ideal fit for Deshaun Watson once his legal situation gets cleared up. What about oh, yeah. you? Is, is it Tampa or is it Minnesota or Carolina or maybe I Miami? Mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, Carolina is intriguing because, you know, the defense looked dominant at times last season and then just fell apart. And the offense has playmakers. I mean, you've got Christian McCaffrey there. Um, you know, DJ Moore had a great season last year. You know, Robbie Anderson may come back after he fell off the cliff last year. I don't know. I mean, there's people you can get the ball in their hands and, you know, have that talent around you. I just, you know, Carolina's intriguing. I think what you laid out with Tampa Bay would probably be Watson's choice. I mean, Hey, I'd go play for Bruce Arians. If I could, why not? If I'm a quarterback, I'd be looking at Tampa Bay as my preferred destination. Um, you know, I've, I know uh, here at the combine, you know, Miami made their support statement for Tua. Um, you know, we're out of the Deshaun Watson game. Um, we don't want any part of that, but I'll tell you, I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> that 
stay in the Deshaun Watson game if I had Tua as my quarterback. But Brian Flores, big fan, now in Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, that would be an intriguing destination as well to, to stick an all-pro quarterback uh, with that Pittsburgh defense and some of those young playmakers that wide receiver oh i'd love to see that that would be that would be good for the nfl right there oh i like that you brought up a good point the reason why the dolphins are officially out of the deshaun watson sweepstakes is because brian flores isn't there anymore the main reason if not the only reason why deshaun watson wanted to go to miami was because of brian flores and now with him and mike tomlin on the same coaching staff uh Deshaun Watson would run through a brick wall to play for both of those guys at the same time. So the Steelers would definitely make a lot of sense because the Steelers, uh, despite their offensive line deficiencies, they're still built to win right now. And I definitely see the Steelers making such a move for Deshaun Watson if and or when he should become available. And laugh all you want, folks. Word out of the combine and word for the past several months as uh, Benjamin Albright has been reporting This guy is about to make himself a boatload of money. And who am I talking about? Mitchell Trubisky is about to make starter money elsewhere after a year in Buffalo. And a lot of teams are realizing just how bad Matt Nagy was. Uh, They're saying, hey, we could give this guy a shot and make him play his best football ever. So we're going to go for it. So Mitchell Trubisky is going to make a lot of money in free agency. Who should be willing to pay him the money he wants? You know, again, like, you know, discussed Carolina is an intriguing option. Uh, Washington as well. Um, You know, again, you've got some playmakers there. And like I said, you know, um, you know, he, I, I almost feel like Trubisky's first name is the much maligned, you know, you hear the, the much maligned Mitch Trubisky, but you know, there was a reason he went number two overall, you know, is he does have those premier traits and, you know, a year with Brian Dable uh, sitting on the bench in Buffalo, um, you know, watching uh, an offense that knows what it's doing, performing, watching, you know, in the quarterback room with a quarterback like Josh Allen you know, I mean, that that can do a lot to, you know, get his head in the right space. And I think a lot of the problems in Chicago were, like you talked about, the coaching and the mental aspect and, and losing that edge and, and losing that aggressiveness. Uh, and, you know, if he's reset and ready to go, then, yeah, there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking at him. But, but I would think Washington, uh, you know, Carolina, those kind of teams – and even a wild card, you know, um, New Orleans. Yeah, especially if the Saints don't sign this next guy on our list, Jameis Winston. That said, I think it's best for Jameis Winston if he stays in New Orleans because yeah, sure. uh, they've retained Pete Carmichael as offensive coordinator. They're keeping the same basic system that Sean Payton had in place for many, many years there. It's uh, not going to be the same without Sean Payton, but. He's familiar with that organization. He's been there for two seasons already, and he's coming off of injury. I think it's best for him to spend at least one more season in New Orleans before potentially cashing in in 2023 or sign a longer-term deal there because of the stability of that organization and his familiarity with it. I think the Saints 
are the best spot for Jameis Winston. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, for, for Jameis to step out of that comfort zone, again, we like, like we were just talking about with Trubisky, um, you know, Winston leaving Tampa Bay, let's face it, he was a mess at the time that he had gone. You know, the, the pick six jokes, the 40 interceptions, you know, whatever you want to talk about. It was, you know, he was in a bad space, um, you know, mentally. He needed to be in a situation to sit, to learn, to break down. And spending that year with Drew Brees and, and Sean Payton in 2020, I think did wonders for his you know, did wonders for him. And you saw him, he was a different quarterback last year. New Orleans looked like uh, right in the Super Bowl mix up until he got hurt. And, you know, yeah, I mean, for him, it's the best situation for New Orleans. It's the best situation. I think it's a no brainer. He ends up back there. That's the simpatico alert. We're simpatico on Jameis Winston. And are we simpatico on Marcus Mariota, a guy uh, who is also about to make himself quite a bit of money on the open market. When you look at Marcus Mariota, a team that comes to my mind, believe it or not, is my Denver Broncos because he played under Matt LaFleur when LaFleur was offensive coordinator in Tennessee and Matt LaFleur's offensive coordinator these past uh, three seasons. Nathaniel Hackett's now the new head coach in Denver. And uh, Nathaniel Hackett, even though his offense has some subtle differences compared to the LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay offense, uh, he's going to run primarily that particular offense in Denver. And Marcus Mariota in a place with a lot of playmakers and a promising young running back of Javante Williams, th that could put him in great position to use those legs of his. And uh, Nathaniel Hackett uh, loves uh, to use uh, qu quarterbacks on those uh, options, so to speak. And uh, he was, uh, heck, one of the first to employ RPOs when he was offensive coordinator of the Bills under Doug Marone in 2013, but they were just known as package plays. Keep that in mind. So I think the Broncos and Marcus Mariota make way too much sense. Should we sound sympathetical or hell? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I might see somebody like Carolina, Matt Rule, make a run for him as well. Um, I could see him being intrigued by Marcus Mariota to bring him over. But between the two, if I, I was uh, Mariota, I would pick Denver every time as well. Um, those young playmakers around him there in Denver are dynamic. You've got a great young core, uh, running back, as you mentioned, tight end as well. Um, Fant, you've got the wide receivers there. You've got talent oozing there. They just need somebody to get the ball in their hands. And I, I think for Mariota, uh, if, if I'm looking at it as what's the best situation for me, you know, even on a short-term deal to reestablish my value, I'd be running to Denver. And last but not least, as Chris Mortensen reported the day of the Super Bowl, by the start of the new league year, on March 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern time, the Colts will either release or trade Carson Wentz. So, should that come to fruition, what is the best possible landing spot for Carson Wentz? I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, if, if I was Carson Wentz, I would put myself, I, I would tell my court, um, my agent, I'd say, hey, can you uh, pick up the phone and call Brian Dable? Because he knows what he's doing with quarterbacks there. And that's a tenuous situation in New York. 
Uh, our man Steely Dan may only be one more year there. So, you know, if you were looking for a position to sit, reestablish your value, uh, work with somebody who's a proven quarterback guru and possibly have a starting job lined up for you in the next year, I'd be thinking about the Giants if I was Wentz. So would I. And uh, look at the offensive staff Dable has put together there. Uh, you got oh. Dable, you got Mike Kafka coming over from the Chiefs yeah. when he was quarterback's coach to call plays. Uh, it's too good of a situation for Carson Wentz to reestablish himself. And if Daniel Jones uh, can't uh, pick it up in the first uh, six games of the year, he can have bets for somebody like Carson Wentz. I think that is uh, Carson Wentz's best bet too, actually. I totally agree. And moving on to some other news and notes uh, that surfaced this week. This week, as you alluded to, the Arizona Cardinals extended the contracts of both Cliff Kingsbury and general manager Steve Kime through the 2027 season. And I personally do not think these extensions were deserved because for the past several years, even though the Cardinals made the playoffs this past year, they have ended their regular seasons in the most sour fashion possible. They start hot and then they tank. Start hot, tank. Start hot, tank. Oh my goodness. I just do not see how this was deserved. Do you? No, I, I don't think it was deserved at all. And, you know, you almost wonder if it was kind of a, a statement to Kyler Murray. Is it Kyler? You know, we know you want your, your contract and your, you know, making these little uh, passive aggressive moves on Instagram and whatnot, but um, Hey, we're digging in. These two are going to be the ones that are here. So there's not going to be any front office uh, quarterback battle or head coach quarterback battle. We've made our choice. You're either sticking with us or you're all the way out the door. So um, kind of seemed like a little shot that way with Kyler Murray coming out to say, uh, this is our status. So I hope you like Cliff because he's not going anywhere. Let me add to that. And I agree, by the way, I think this move was done with Kyler Murray in mind because Kyler Murray, as talented as he is, he is very scheme dependent as a quarterback and Cliff Kingsbury's scheme is tailor-made for him. He wouldn't flourish in other schemes compared to the one Cliff Kingsbury has. So they're essentially saying, Kyler, we want you back. We'll eventually get you resigned, but trust us, we are keeping you, we want to keep you here. And this is why. That's what they were saying to me. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what they're saying. You're right. It's, you know, Kyler, you know, not every other, there's not 31 other teams that are going to jump to trade for you. Um, like you said, very, very specific there um, as to his fit. And I'll tell you, you know, it's, you know, like you said, undeserved that extension, but it's got to be, you know, going directly to, to Kylo Murray and saying, you know, these, this is your guy, Kingsbury, he's here. We don't want you going anywhere else. So we're not blowing this up. We're not starting over with a new general manager, a new head coach and a new quarterback. So uh, get yourself back over here, <laughs> get back in the program, Kyler. That's yeah. Definitely what it seems to be. And the big news from today 
was that the Cowboys, as Adam Schefter first reported, are likely to release Amari Cooper by 4 p.m. Eastern time on March 16th, the start of free agency and the new league year. And one of the reasons the Cowboys have decided to go this route, apparently, is because they believe they can re-sign Michael Gallup and uh, Schefter reported that they are considered very close to a new deal with Michael Gallup to keep him in Dallas long-term and use the franchise tag on Dalton Schultz um, for the same price as Amari Cooper would have cost this year. He would have been guaranteed in full $20 million by March 20th. And uh, let's keep that Ezekiel Elliott contract aside for a moment. Yes, it was a factor, but, uh, but uh, they, they made their bed and that's all there is to it there. But, do you think the Cowboys are making the more prudent decision to um, re-sign Michael Gallup and tag Dalton Schultz compared to keeping around Amari Cooper at his current number? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a tough call there. I mean, I don't know that there's going to be many people that are going to say on pure talent alone, if you have Michael Gallup and you have Amari Cooper, who are you going to take there? But when you start factoring in the age, um, you know, I mean, granted, Gallup wasn't exactly healthy this past year either, but uh, Cooper, with the age, he definitely did not perform up to the level of, you know, uh, receiving that $20 million guaranteed uh, this past year. Even when he was on the field, he did not look like the Amari Cooper of old. So prudent decision, you know, if you can keep Schultz, if you can keep Gallup, you know, it's a tough move, but you got what you got out of, them. you know, you got your three and a half years. You gave up the draft capital uh, to the Raiders to get him. You made your little, you know, he, he put up his two or three big years. And now is he 27? Is the decline coming? Is that, mm, you know, um, so only so many routes you can run in those legs after seven years and a lot of wear and tear on them. So for Dallas, it seems like a prudent decision now. Um, I think it's got the long-term DAC effect in, you know, in saying, hey, this is a move that we're looking at not just 2022, but 2023, 2024, 2025. And Cooper isn't going to be a part of these future years. So yeah, it's a risky move, but I think it's the good long-term move. Yes, it's, uh, as the old say goes, two years too early is better than two years too late. Years too late. And I think the Cowboys are going with the two years too early move for Amari Cooper. And he is Hal Bentley's gentlemen. Catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com and bossonsportpage.com and follow him on Twitter at halbent one But before we let you go, Hal, in the spirit of the NFL scouting combine, we're going to do a little mock draft, so to speak. Let's do oh. a, another top 10 mock draft. I will make the odd-numbered picks. You will make the even-numbered picks. And we start with the Jacksonville Jaguars at one. Last time on the podcast with Thor Nystrom, world-class NFL draft yes. analyst from NBC Sports Edge, I gave the Jaguars Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal. But in this mock, I'm going to give them NC State offensive tackle Iki Aquanu. And today, Iki Aquanu ran a 4.9340 at 350 plus pounds. Get that. <laughs> That's how freakish that guy is. Uh, he may be a little bit more raw than Evan Neal, so to speak. But 
he, he has a higher ceiling and perhaps just as high a floor because if you're forced to eventually kick him inside to guard like three years down the road, he'll be an all-pro at guard without a doubt. And yes, uh, Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are both tempting here to a certain degree, but you just got to protect Trevor Lawrence. You have no other choice. You can't put the same offensive line in front of Trevor Lawrence next year as you did in 2021. You just can't. And in order to find whatever receivers he's throwing to, Trevor Lawrence needs much better protection. And you start with Iki Aquanu with the first overall pick to the Jaguars in this mock draft. And now the Detroit Lions are on the clock. Hal, who do you got? This is a team where, you know, you, you pretty much need everything. And, you know, it's, it's a rough year without really having quarterback. And I did listen to Thor and I heard the Malik Willis talk and I said, oh, you know, he is climbing up the board. He's checking off all the boxes, the athleticism. He looked great at the combine throwing um, the character, the off the field um, A plus. There was the uh, story that came out with him uh, assisting a homeless person out in the street. Somebody randomly uh, videotaped him there obviously he's not doing it for the camera just a great human being I'd love to give him there but I don't know if the Lions are quite ready to jump into that and uh, they've got their guy they probably had their eye on they need defense help there up front Aiden Hutchinson such a stud at Michigan I think you've gotta go for Detroit as much as me personally love Kyle Hamilton the safety out of Notre Dame uh, I think it's a little too in the recent past of uh, Jeff Okuda there <laughs> getting burned in the secondary with a high pick so if I'm Detroit yeah I'm, I'm making the easy the logical the local kid the probably best pass rusher in the draft and going with Aiden Hutchinson Aiden Hutchinson to the Lions at two, it is. And now the Houston Texans are on the clock. I'm a big fan of Kyle Hamilton as well, and I would not object whatsoever to him being the pick here because the Texans roster needs almost everything. And they are about to unload. They're trying to trade Laramie Tunsil. They're going to try to trade Brandon Cooks. And as soon as the legal situation clears up, they're going to trade Deshaun Watson. And therefore, Nick Casario is going to go with whoever the best player is on their board here, regardless of position. I wouldn't be shocked if it is Kyle Hamilton reality. But to mix it up a little bit, I'm going to give them Evan Neal. Because Evan Neal plays a premium position in offensive tackle. Uh, he is the most polished of the offensive tackles in the draft, especially compared to uh, Iki Aquanu, who uh, is uh, battling with him to be the number one overall pick. Um, and uh, you've got a pretty promising young quarterback there in Davis Mills, and you have to give him every shot possible to succeed this year because the ideal situation is he um, beats the odds and turns into your long-term franchise starter. And that's exactly what the Texans need. you got to help out Davis Mills here. I'm going with Evan Neal as the third overall pick in this mock to the Texans. Yeah, all right. great pick there. I love Evan Neal. Um, you know, can't go wrong with that Alabama tackle right there. Um, so I get the Jets at four. And I tell you, I've seen a million mock drafts, David, where people are mocking Kyle Hamilton. And I understand it because I love Kyle Hamilton. I've already said that at two. I love Kyle Hamilton. Um, 
I just don't see the Jets after, you know, I going back to the safety, they're not keeping Marcus May. Um, you know, we've seen in the past and the, the defensive system, you, you look at what the Jets, um, you know, what that Jets defensive system is, what Robert Sala had in San Francisco. And it wasn't built back to front. It was built front to back. And they desperately need some kind of pass rush, some kind of help up front. So I think if I'm looking at the Jets at four, I think they're looking at, um, you know, who is the best edge rusher there, defensive lineman that we can put in. We saw Saller in San Francisco. He had waves of defensive linemen going there that were high draft picks. So I think this is where the slide stops. You know, there's a lot of nitpicking about this guy who we basically had on the top of the board, uh, just about everybody uh, for the last year. And that's Oregon's Kevin Thibodeau. I think he lands at four with the Jets and they get that premium pass rusher that they desperately need for that Robert Sala defense to work. Yeah, there's some buzz that suggests he could fall out of the top 10 entirely, but I think the NFL is overthinking it here. The Jets would be wise to not let the NFL repeat that same mistake as they made with Justin Fields and other players in years past. Uh, take Kayvon Thibodeau if he's the best guy on your board. And now the Jets co-tenants at MetLife Stadium, the New York Giants on the clock with their first of two picks in this top 10 mock at five overall. Uh, the Giants... Uh, almost like the Jets, they need help pretty much everywhere. And uh, with Joe Shane and Brian Dable in town, uh, they shouldn't feel any pressure here. They should take the absolute best player on the board. And Jabril Peppers is a very, very good player, yes, but he is nothing compared to Kyle Hamilton. And Kyle Hamilton is considered the best player in this draft period by Lance Zierlein of NFL Network and Jordan Reed of ESPN, two outstanding NFL draft minds. And uh, Hamilton is clearly the best player on the board. I think this would be the best possible pick for the New York Giants here with those two tackles gone. Kyle Hamilton of the Giants at five. Yeah, uh, great. Whoever ends up with Kyle Hamilton is going to be ecstatic uh, to get him there. Um, So let's see, you've got Hamilton. So clear him from my board. I've got Carolina here at number six. And Carolina, there's a lot of options. There, um, you know, they could use a cornerback. They could use another uh, offensive weapon, a wide receiver. We know they're looking for a quarterback. I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on a quarterback here. You know, um, do you grab Malik Willis here? That's a tough one. Do you go for the... Um, you know, one of these wide receivers that is streaking up the board. I think Garrett Wilson's probably the best overall wide receiver uh, coming out of Ohio State. But but uh, his uh, running mate there in Ohio State, Chris Olaf, after that great performance at the Combine, is streaking up boards as well. So it's a tough choice here. Oh, boy, you know, and I'm going to go a guy that's, you know, I think he's a top 10 pick. Uh, I personally think he's the best cornerback in the draft. Uh, he goes by sauce. It's Ahmad Gardner coming out of Cincinnati. So if I'm Carolina, building up that defense, you need somebody who can 
Um, you know, make plays. We see the sticky fingers. Um, best cornerback in the draft, in my opinion. So uh, sauce at number six. Yeah, and keep in mind, they drafted a very promising young corner last year at J.C. Horn, who was looking great until great. he suffered that season-ending injury in week three. So teaming him and Sauce Garner together, um, and both guys uh, known for their sticky man coverage, uh, that could be a very, very enticing duo at the back end of the Panthers' defense for the next uh, seven to ten years, so to speak. And now to the Giants with the pick they got in the Justin Fields trade at seven. They need help getting after the quarterback still. Yeah, Dexter Lawrence is pretty talented. Leonard Williams is very talented, but they still need help on edge. As Aziz Ojaleri showed flashes last year, but he needs help on the other edge. And what better person is there to give him help than his former Georgia teammate, Trayvon Walker, a freak of an athlete Ooh, at 275 yeah. pounds. And uh, with the new defense that uh, Don Mardale is going to run, uh, you definitely need your corners, but I think they are going to address that long-term because uh, they're, I believe they're just going to like a uh, borderline punt this year, so to speak, to get themselves in position to draft one of the top two quarterbacks in 2023. And uh, so uh, it's going to be a long-term project with Brian Dable and this coaching staff, but uh, the Giants uh, are going to focus a lot of their energy and filling that other edge spot with Trayvon Walker, who is going to post absolutely freakish numbers this week and putting him aside from his former Georgia Bulldog teammate, Aziz Ojolari, uh, that could be very, very promising. So Trayvon Walker to the Giants at seven. Oh, I like that pick, David. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anybody can make any mistake picking anybody from Georgia this year. There's just too much talent there coming out of that school. Um, this is going to be one of those Georgia drafts where, uh, like we've seen those Alabama drafts in the past, a lot of players um, at the top of the draft coming out of there. So moving on, number eight, I've got the Atlanta Falcons and uh, still trying to convince themselves that they're not rebuilding at all. And Matt Ryan is staying at quarterback. Um, Atlanta needs all the help in the world on the defensive side. Um, doesn't matter what position you're going for there on defense. They desperately need defense. Yes, they could definitely use a playmaker um, as well, especially if you're going to see uh, Calvin Ridley gets moved if he's not comfortable coming back to Atlanta. So um, as much as they could use a wide receiver, they really need help on defense, which means Atlanta is going to draft a wide receiver. So I'm just going to give them Garrett Wilson right here uh, coming out of Ohio State. Wilson checks all the boxes. Um, great leaper, explosive athlete, um, you know, can get up, high point the ball, has great hands, um, tracks the ball well. He just checks all the boxes. Um, so as much as I would personally give him a defensive player, maybe a cornerback like Andrew Booth, I think they're going offense and they're going to go Garrett Wilson here from Ohio State. And now my Denver Broncos are on the clock at nine. And I'm going to trade this pick. And here's why. With Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay, Russell Wilson likely staying at least one more year in Seattle. 
The best bet for the Broncos is to do the following. Sign one of those mid-level free agent quarterbacks we just talked about, whether that be a Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, or a Mitchell Trubisky. Take a flyer on day two or three of this year's draft with like a Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, a Carson Strong from uh, Nevada, Reno, or uh, Caleb Elby from Western Michigan, who the Broncos reportedly very, very uh, much love. And use this spot in the draft to trade back with a quarterback desperate team and accumulate assets for 2023. And you can use those assets to trade for Russell Wilson should the Seahawks flop this year and he become available or to move up in the draft for a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud, or whoever else joins them in that top tier quarterbacks next year. And the laws of history suggest there's going to be one, maybe even two to join them. So, um, that, so that's exactly what the Broncos should do. And the worst kept secret in mobile when I was at the senior bowl, the Steelers love Malik Willis. They love him <laughs> so, so much. And the Steelers, uh, they are a very ideal place for Malik Willis because like he can sit on the bench for one year behind Mason Rudolph and another veteran they bring in, whether that be a Trubisky, a Mariota, or a Teddy Bridgewater. And uh, he could own his skills uh, with the Steelers and that supporting cast of weapons they will have around him come 2023. This is the best thing the Steelers could do uh, to replace Ben Roethlisberger, um, have uh, Mason Rudolph and another vet in place to play this season and get Malik Willis ready to go by 2023. Malik Willis to the Steelers in a trade with the Broncos at the ninth overall pick. Jets on the clock at 10 to conclude our top 10 mock. Oof. Like that, David. Good strategy there. Denver front office, hope you're listening. Um, so I get the Jets again. All right. And again, the Jets, let's face it, they need a lot of help. They've got a lot of picks. They've got two high second round picks as well in the 30s. Um, so they're definitely going to, you know, four picks in the top 40. Great situation to be in. Um, again, a lot of picks mocking. Uh, Offensive skill position players, they could grab a wide receiver here. But I think if you look at that team and the investment that they made last year, um, you know, to get their franchise quarterback, Zach Wilson, uh, you've got to support him. And he was not comfortable in the pocket all last year. They spent a high draft pick on Mickey Beckton the year before. And he disappeared last year, only played one game, was injured, wasn't expected to be a long-term injury, missed the whole season. There's reports out now that he was up over 380 pounds when he came back and was trying to get back on the field at the end of the season and was out of shape. Um, Jets, you got to start over there on the offensive line. Um, no doubt about that. I you know, hate to say it, but... You can fill the wide receiver position in the 30s. Their cornerbacks are terrible. They need to find a cornerback as well. Again, that cornerback and wide receiver are deep again. There's prospects there. You can get a Trent McDuffie maybe in the 30s at cornerback. Um, you know, Jahan Dotson from Penn State is going to be available there at wide receiver probably in the 30s as well. They can use help at linebacker. Chad Muma from Wyoming might be around. So they have a lot of options there. They need to look at the tackles. Uh, offensive line, again, uh, the tackle position, you've got Charles Cross from Mississippi State. That's a top 10 pick 
possibility. You got Kenyon Green, uh, the interior uh, on the guard might be available as well at that point. Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. We saw with Creed Humphrey. I think if he redrafted last year's draft, Creed Humphrey's going to be in the top 10, top 15. So teams shouldn't be afraid to invest um, at this time in those interior offensive linemen. Um, you know, whether you use them at tackle or whether you use them at guard, I think Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, probably the, um, you know, most athletic, powerful, you know, likes to play low, as they say, uh, prospect there for the Jets. They need help at you know, basically all five positions up front. Get the best available, whether you play them at guard or tackle. Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, number 10 for the Jets. Thank you very much, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross. But we'll be back next week with more of our 2022 Dash to the Draft series. So stay tuned. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at SportsCrunch with dcrom. Also, be sure to check out the new and approved SportsCrunch.com, where my first mock draft of the 2022 cycle is now posted. For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and whatever you're doing, please keep the brave people of Ukraine in your thoughts and prayers. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool.